Hey, Warners, this is your warning that the following episode of Women Your Mother Warned You About went a bit rogue from the beginning. You know, one of those episodes where we started the show before we started the show, you know, we were recording and then things happened. So put on your big girl panties and buck up for the ride with Rachel Pitts, Keith Walters and yours truly, Gina Tremarco. thinking i'll just run this by you like something along the lines of fun. Ho- holiday magic and fun oh this yeah is- i'm feeling fucking great and fun and magical right now so that's <laughs> perfect <laughs> i've got like rainbows and unicorns <laughs> spurting out of me continue please <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Happy holidays, everybody. This is another rogue episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About, uh, brought to you by Sales Gravy. Here, here is what my thought was, is that in your Marco Polo to me today, um, you had, and by the way, everybody, this is a lot of times Rachel and I, we communicate um, via Marco Polo. Um, back in the day, back in the olden day, we did it um, to not uh, kill each other. And now we actually use it um, as kind of a way to have a sounding board when we can't get a hold of each other. And we all run super hard and um, a lot of us actually don't want to actually call people and tell them like when we're falling apart. And so it's kind of cool to have someone you can Marco Polo and like just spit it all out on video and not have anyone interrupt you. And so uh, lately, uh, Rachel and I have been having a lot of Marco Polos and highly recommend, highly, highly recommend. And um, you said something today today that kind of got me thinking about this topic and how we could turn this into holiday magic and and the hearts of child of children um because you were talking about and we can have some seriousness with this um but you're talking about your inner child and um if i can share this like sending a note to your inner child which anybody who's been through therapy you've been given that that task before in some way to heal something but you were talking about you know being a ballerina as, as a child. And I think, um, kind of like what got to me and resonated with me was, you know, my little girl at age seven wanted to be an actress. Shocker. Right. And I told my mother I wanted to be an actress and you might be a little young for this, but I remembered the dis- distinctly the day it happened. I was watching the dinosaur show. Some of you in this age group with me may remember that the dinosaur. I know dinosaur. Okay, so um, didn't she have the sheep, Lammy? I don't think so. I can't remember what her name was, but it wasn't her. Oh, now I'm like I want to know who that is. I can't remember. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So Dinah Shore was like she was one of those talk show hosts that like had celebrities on that she would interview, right? And um. As before, like all the like talk shows took off, but I was seven. I remember this. So that would have been, do the math, 1975-ish. Okay. And I remember like watching her and being like, I want to be an actress so I can be on the Dinah Shore show. 
I want to be interviewed by Dinah Shore. Like I was so enamored. I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a performer. And I went and I told my mother and she laughed. (laughs) You could never do that. Talk about crushing dreams. Mm. And then, and then when I was nine, still had the passion at nine, there was a, a, a school friend of mine who like came to school all braggy brag, like, I'm auditioning for a TV show. And I'm like, what TV show? Okay. And it was, and it was called Bubblegum Digest. I don't think I've ever told this story. This has to go in my book. So Bubblegum Digest was on the um, NBC affiliate. And it was like, a, it was a news show for kids. So it was like, watching the nightly news, but it was the kids version on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And so you sat at an anchor desk and you like reported the news and it was cool. So I was like, I want to audition. And somehow, believe it or not, I don't know how Gina Tremarco did this, but bamboozled my way into an audition. I don't even remember how I did this, but I'm like, I want to audition. And I got an audition and I had to, this says so much about my path. I had to prepare news stories. I was just thinking you had a communications major, didn't you? Yes. I became a radio TV film major in college. And then I, I interned at ABC. I interned in radio. I produced a radio show. Like, Right. So like this set the tone in the path. Listen up, parents. Do not squash the dreams of your children. So I went on this audition. I had to prepare my news story and I had to read it to the camera. And it was my first time in a news studio reading to the different cameras. I mean, it was I'm getting goosebumps right now. And I was so excited. Okay, take a sip of your coffee because you're going to spill it. You're making me nervous. (laughs) She's like moving all around in her excitement. And I'm like watching the coffee going. So excited. So excited. So excited. So excited. And um, I know I nailed that audition. I just knew it. I I was amazing. And then the letter came in the mail. We would have chosen you, but the show got canceled. Again, dreams crushed. And I said to my mom, I'm like, we don't have to give up. I should get an agent. I mean, what kind of child was I? I'm like, I want an agent, mom. Anissa's getting an agent. I want an agent. She'll find me another audition. Nope. She wasn't buying into it. And so I went on in life to prove her wrong. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> I love it. You know, I um, and it, I think there's a couple of different pathways of kids where they're like your path where your your parents didn't like your mom didn't support your dream and you did it anyways. I had like the opposite. I remember being I remember very clearly coming home from my first dance class, or it was one of my first. And I just loved, I adored Cindy and Ray Hollingsworth, who ran the studio that I grew up in. And I came home and told my mom, I'm going to be a dancer. And I don't even remember how she reacted. She probably was like, I imagine she was at the, you know, in the kitchen like, okay. And I mean, they had me in dance and they, you know, supported me through, all of my desires in terms of dance and, and also sent me to um, 
a boarding school, an art school, Virginia School of the Arts, that's no longer. And interestingly enough, I just this past weekend, there's been a lot of stuff like coming up for me lately. And one, there's a VSA alumni page on Facebook and the building where we used to do dance um, once the school closed years and years ago, it just became vandalized and it was a hot mess and everybody was so upset. And the plan was to make that building into apartments, which finally happened. But what's really interesting is that this um, alumni post, she went over there and she posted a picture of the upstairs ballet studio. And it's kind of like this big, vast, gorgeous room with a high ceiling. And then there's like a little baby stage that's back at the back of the room that we never actually used. And the ballet bar is still there. And like, that was my place at the bar. I always stood every single day. And that picture is just, I mean, that was a seriously formative three years of of mine, but um, that was also the time period where I kind of figured out that my dream from age five through high school of becoming a ballerina was just probably not really going to come true. Now, not to say that I couldn't have become a ballerina, but what I figured out was I was better at other things. I was more, my, 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 my talents were a little bit suited for other things in terms of just, if you know, dance, like I wasn't, I, I, again, now dancers are so much athletes. It's different than like this past weekend I watched uh, and I watched the 1977 version of Mikhail Baryshnikov and Gelsey Kirkland doing New York City Ballet's Nutcracker, which is still probably the best version of the Nutcracker you'll ever see. So you can find it on YouTube. Um, and that was the epitome for me. Gelsey Kirkland was like the epitome of the ballerina at that time. And when I was growing up and the thing was, is she was like, notoriously the worst with eating disorders and just super skinny and skinny was the thing. So like basically the messaging, I, the story I was telling myself of the messaging I was receiving is that I could never be a ballerina because I wasn't skinny enough and I could never get skinny enough to be a ballerina. I mean, my grown up perspective now is like, I just didn't choose that path. And I could have, had I really wanted to be in a ballet company, there's like a million of them. You don't have to be in New York city ballet to be in a, in a ballet company. And I did have a great professional career, but the little girl in me still struggles with, I just could never be skinny enough to be a ballerina. And so like recently I like have gone through some interesting um, self-discovery of like having a lot of that brought up again that I thought I had mastered. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've been competing in bodybuilding and bikini division. And what we've discovered, my coaches and I, is that my, my body type is not really suited to be a winner in bikini just because I have a flat little dancer, butt, you know, <laughs> like, and, and bikini is is very much the silhouette of the the female with a lot of the emphasis is on the glutes, on the bubbly booty. And some people are born with a bubbly booty and some people are not. And again, similarly to like my childhood dreams, it's not saying that I couldn't go on to build that and become that. It's just would be a harder path than, Hey, why don't you switch over to fitness division where you can be a dancer and do a dance routine? You don't have to worry about glutes. You can be a lot more successful over here. But like, I think there's a connection to my disappointment and letdown because it's sort of similar. Like you don't get to be that because your body's not right. Yeah. I hear, I hear you. And 
when you said that in the Marco Polo, and I, and I was kind of processing that and thinking about that, and that's why I wanted to talk about, that's why I wanted to make this like, you know. We'll get back to the childhood joyous Christmas unicorns here in a second, but right, go but, ahead. But, but, <laughs> it, but it is, but, I, but the theme I really wanted to focus on, which Jeb loves so much when I say the phrase, sell like a child. <clears throat> Just kidding. Um, he does not like that phrase. Um so uh, I I have taught a course called Sell Like a Child. Which is an awesome course. Yeah, thank you. And the reason why is because I noticed, um, I have a whole story I talk about with my nephew when he was three and how he conned me into buying toys for him when I picked him up from daycare. Uh, the point is, is that children have certain traits that they 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 capitalize on to get what they want, right? And I and I talk about these five top traits, and and as you were talking about your inner child and the ballerina, and then that made me think about me wanting to be an actress in the Dinah Shore show, and then how, um, you know, I did the dance thing, I did the um, voice lessons thing for two years. Um, I'm. I'm a musician. I've played the instruments. Um, then I went back to dance, and then because I auditioned for a show once as an actress, and didn't they're like, "We're gonna put you in as a dancer," and I was like, "What? I'm not what?" And I wasn't a skinny girl at all. I mean, I was. Um, I mean, I lost a ton of weight being in that show because we had rehearsals six days a week, but they saw something in me that they were like, I thought I would be a good dancer, which I guess I was. So then I went back to dance and I went, I don't think you know this. And then I went into competition for dance with a group. And then I ended up in improv comedy somehow with a, this desire to, you know, get discovered for Saturday night live. And of course that didn't happen because, because at second city, First, you had to, like, you want to get to the Second City main stage to get discovered, right? To get the Second City main stage back in the day, um, I think it was, what were the numbers? Five and two. It was like five men, two women. Okay? Only two women got in. And of the two women that would get in, it was always the hot, skinny woman, of which I was never going to be close to, ever. Although I was pretty freaking thin. Um, You're pretty hot, though. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's that. Um, so you had to be like the hot, skinny girl um, and usually blonde mm -hmm. or the really interesting character actress. And you could be you could be ugly. So I wasn't ugly and I wasn't skinny. You weren't ugly enough and you weren't skinny enough. Damn right. It. Exactly. Exactly. Well, exactly. And so then and then, um, you know. Again, I started revisiting my childhood dream. I'm like, I'll go get an agent. And, but now this is in my 20s, right? And I'm trying to get an agent and I'm being rejected by the talent agents because I look too ethnic. What? I looked too ethnic. I didn't look like the blonde girl next door to do TV commercials selling laundry detergent back in the day. So I got discouraged and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to starve to death. I'm never going to be skinny. So I want to eat. So I'm going to, I want to put food on the table after college. Ironically enough, I know this is a long story. I had an amazing teacher 
in improv who one day said to me, and I was always intimidated. I was always the youngest one in my class in improv. Um, I was 19 when I started and everybody was in their twenties, thirties, forties. And, um, you know, I started it while I was in college going to second city classes and, and, and I was always, this is crazy too. I would always get typecast into the bimbo role. Okay. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not blonde enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm going to be the bimbo, the chubby, pretty bimbo. That's, that's where I was ending up. And I was getting so discouraged. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be the best voluptuous bimbo there is. And I would dominate every scene as the voluptuous bimbo. And I would just, I would milk it. I would milk it. And one day my instructor said, you know what I love about you? You are so childlike. Never lose that. Never lose that quality about you that you bring to the stage, this childlike quality of like fun and energy and enthusiasm. And that's sort of my point here for anybody who has had a dream or has a dream or is just trying to like really do great at what you're doing in your business and your job in sales, how you're selling, right? Like you have to have a passion for what you're doing. And you have to find other ways around the objections and rejections. Mm -hmm. If you have the passion for it, you will find a way. And so you talked about that with like, all right, well, I guess I wasn't meant to be a ballerina. Oh, well, well, maybe I was now I own a dance studio. Boom. Yeah. You know what? You weren't meant to be the ballerina you thought you were supposed to be. You ended up being a different ballerina because you didn't give up the dream I didn't give up with the dream. I, I kind of put the dream on hold for a while. And then it came back to me exactly sort of like what's happening to you. One day, the opportunity to own, to open an improv theater dropped in my lap and never expected it. And I was so much better for it 20 years later mm. because I I saw it differently. I didn't see it as, I'm going to be this big star in Hollywood. I'm like, I know how to make money doing this. I know how to make money selling classes. I know how to make money selling tickets to shows. Like everything I did for the past 20 years up to that moment when I opened my theater all served a purpose that that was built on my passion to do what I was doing. I just ended up doing it differently than I originally thought I would be doing it. I love that. And you know, I'm I'm pretty sure I can't speak directly to any type of scientific or psychology research, but I know that if you start getting in that midlife crisis mode, and I know like I, I was a little bit like working in real estate and mortgage that it was not what I, it was not part of my dream. And once I shifted focus and acquired the dance studio, I'm like, yes, this is what I'm meant to be on the planet for. But like you, you can find in research, always going back to what you really, really loved when you were like, you know, yeah, approximately eight to 10 years old, mm -hmm. because that's the thing that you really, really loved and were fascinated by, and you were willing to like do anything for at that time. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of things that come up and people sometimes mean well, and sometimes they don't when they crush your dreams. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes like I, I just told this story the other day to one of my dancers. I was like, look, I had the support of my parents 
but I was told several times that I was just pretty smart and I should probably quit dance and become like a, some kind of job, smart person job. And here I am. I was one of the few, I literally was told you won't be, you will not become a dancer. And I was one of the few that graduated from my art school that did and went on to have a long and pretty successful career that now I'm a dance studio owner and teacher. Um, and I told this dance young dancer, I said, you can't, you can't teach the passion and the drive. I said, all yeah. this stuff, like these girls you're looking at that are have higher technical ability than you. I said, they're not better than you. They just have more hours in the studio. They've been here practicing technique. And I'm like, I can teach you technique. Like you can learn technique. You cannot teach passion and drive. You can't teach someone to want it. Well, doesn't that go hand in hand with sales and selling? Yeah. You can teach people how to sell and you can give them frameworks like we do at Sales Gravy. You can give them all those things. But I've seen some salespeople just suck at it because they they have no passion for either they either don't have a passion for selling or and or don't have a passion for what they're selling. And and we know emotional contagion, the buyers feel it, mm -hmm. right? If you don't have a passion for it, it it's not going to exude. You're not going to exude it. It's not going to come out of your pores and pull people to you. Right. Yeah. You just have to, the, the passion part is, that's why some people are freaking amazing at selling what like Xerox copiers, widgets, mm -hmm. whatever, because they are so flipping passionate about yeah. that particular widget. And they they can suck at their sales technique, but they are just so passionate yes. that they can convince you that, you know, and that goes back to what you're talking about earlier, Gina, with sell like a child, like Roxy, <laughs> she has this thing right now. She's got this, this particular, um, particular toy that arrived. Finally, it's one of those things we ordered like in July and it just arrived the other day um, from Japan. But there's one part of this thing that we did not receive. Now, I did order it and purchase it. Just hasn't come. Well, she wants this part of this toy so bad. She's found 26 different other ways that I can purchase it. And, and it keeps coming up. Like, doesn't matter what we're talking about. She'd be like, you know, it's only like, two dollars and then shipping if you want to just and i'm like let's first wait and see if it arrives it might just be slow that that part did not arrive she's like i've been researching a lot of people haven't received that part of this yeah. toy and it like like it just keeps coming up and that's part of what gina taught or teaches in the sell like a child course is that relentless like it's relent yeah never ending of like how am i going to get this how am i going to get this and um, they become obsessed. Kids yeah. become obsessed with what they want. And it's not that we as adults can't do it. We just put filters on, started adulting and stopped, stopped reaching into the inner childlike abilities that we are wired for. Yeah. And I think I still have some of that because I always, I say this, I always achieve what I say I'm going to do. Like I really, really do. Sometimes it takes me a long, long time. Like this dance studio, it's been more than 10 years. I've said, I'm going to acquire mm -hmm. this dance studio. And there's been a lot of roadblocks and a lot of things, but here I am. And, and sometimes my, my dream just changes course. And I'm like, you know what? It's never that I really actually give up on something. I just go, mm, you know what? This is not quite the right path. Let's go this way, you know? And, and, and there's a reason why the course changes, right? 
whatever higher power anybody believes in there not everybody believes in there's a reason i do believe and there's a there's a reason why something doesn't happen and then there's a reason why something does happen um sometimes there are lessons that you need to learn along the way before you get the thing that you want because mm-hmm. you might not be ready for the thing that you want or the thing might not be ready for you it's again being passionate and um, not giving up, right? These are some of the things like kids don't take no for an answer. Um, Kids know how to find the right decision maker, right? So if mom says no, then they go to dad. If dad says no, they go to grandma. If grandma says no, like, you know, they, they don't give up. They don't see barriers. They don't see objections. They just reroute like a GPS. They take another path to get there. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. They are cute. Uh, and a lot of times I tell adults, um, when they're like cute, especially when I tell this to male CEOs, the cute factor, I'm like, all right, so the kids have a cute factor, adults have an it factor. And this is a really great story. Cause I had been researching this when I created the course a while ago and, uh, I, I was researching the it factor, what's make someone the it girl or the it guy. And there was a story about Keanu Reeves and he had auditioned for, What's that movie? Speed, the runaway bus. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So he had gone in and auditioned not once, like four times. They kept calling him back and like he would audition and then be like, nah, like they didn't see his, they didn't find him talented. I don't know why he's so talented as an actor. Um, love you, Keanu. He auditioned like four times and they kept like they kept sort of rejecting him and then they kept calling him back. And then one day some, one of the producers was like, we keep calling him back. Why are we calling this guy back? Like we keep saying we don't want him, but we keep calling him back because because there was something about him. There was an it factor that they just they liked him. They couldn't put their finger on it. It was the emotion right? It was an emotional thing. It wasn't a rational thing. It wasn't like they thought of him as the most technical actor who, you know, could do Shakespeare or whatever, not that he needed that for speed, but it's, they just, (laughs) they just found something about him that they couldn't put their finger on that made them go, I like that guy. Same thing with sales. Like for the longest time, I fought the whole sales thing until I owned a business and didn't have a choice. But I was recruited for decades to sales jobs. And I'm like, stop. No, I'm not a salesperson. But you're so good. I'm like, at what? I, I'm a mar- I, was, I was in marketing for so long. They're like, but you're so good with people. I'm like, and so? And then I realized oh, if, I, if I go back and track back to the beginning of time, of my sales career in the flea market when I was that cute kid with the cute factor. Um, I, I guess I just had a, a, something about me that people felt comfortable with and leaned in. Mm-hmm. And then I could convince them to do whatever I wanted them to do. Mm. Isn't that sales? I convinced them to give me what I wanted, but had no training in it. You just had a instinctual way. Yeah. Well, well, that's just it. I had an instinctual way. Yeah, you're right. There was no filter. I didn't think about it. You know, I think that that is, I think that some of that is, is genetic though. Like in, like I can, I can look at kids. 
I need about five minutes with any any human and I can tell you like if they'll be if dance is their deal or not. Yeah. It literally I know because I'm like, "Mm, not your gift. Not saying you can't get there, but like naturally the way that they know how to move their body. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people are just naturally gravitate. I was explaining to the dancers the other day about person. I was like red, blue, yellow, green, and all that. They were just fascinated because some people are, I'm like not yellow at all. Like I, yellow is like the helper, the nurse. Mm. I'm not yellow. I am super red. And Mm. like, I think some people are just born. They're naturally just want to help people and they gravitate towards, they want to help. That's David. Yeah. Like David falls into that. Like you, you could do the colors, you could do the disc. Like when I look at, um, gosh, I wish I like would have thought about this a long time ago, like personality assessments and, um, how important that is, like knowing someone's personality in sales or in business in general, understanding the the where they fall in um, makes a huge difference. Uh, knowing how to sell to that personality, mm. um, and we teach that at Sales Gravy. But if David's got that personality of like he just he's just a helper. He wants to help everybody, take care of everybody, and I'm like. I wish I would have known this assessment thing a long time ago, personally, because my personality needs that personality. Mm. <laughs> Just need that person. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to know those those personalities. Um, but again, kids in general are going to, you're going to have your, your best excitement and and enthusiasm level as a child. And then we lose it as we grow older. You know, David's, David's son is really super smart, wicked smart and 14, which I'm learning how to navigate for a 14 year old boy. And, um, I think I shared this with you in a text. So (laughs) we had further discussion on this. So I had texted him um, some ideas for Christmas for his dad gifts he could get. And I said, you know, here's something your dad mentioned he wanted. He's like, great. Can you, can you pick it up? Can you get it for me from me? And I said, sure. And I said, and I texted him back. I said, and how would you like to um, arrange your purchase? Your, the financial part of the purchase. And his response, like, I did not see it coming. His response was, you don't know how this works, do you? (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I responded with, "Uh, no, I don't know how this works, but I'm sure you're about to tell me. And he responds, I'm the kid. You purchase it and pay for it, and you say it's from me. That's how it works. It was the most relaxed, assertive confidence in a text message ever that I literally caved in. I mean, he got the master. He reverse engineered this sale to me. And he's like, this is how it is. And I go, okay, baller. I see you. I know how much money you have in your checking account, but I respect the hustle and when you're 16 and you get a job, this will end. <laughs> and his response was, okay. Wow. <laughs> so basically you thought of the gift and mentioned it to him. And he's like, great. Why don't you get that for me? And done. 
and pay for it. And he did this to me for the for for David's birthday gift too. And I just let it go. And did, I'm like, all right, we're not going to create a habit here. That's why I said something. And then he's like, mm, let me tell you how it works. Oh, you just did. You did it twice. So that's a habit. And he um, he actually I was I was really kind of impressed. He brought it up to his dad. And he's like, yeah, Gina and I were having this conversation. And I was like, oh, okay. And he, he, he came clean. He came clean. And I said, let me ask you this. Um, before there was a Gina, how did this work? Who paid for your dad's gifts? He's like, my mom. And she's really happy that you're around now that, so that you could pay for it. And, I don't, and she doesn't have to anymore. <laughs> the ex-wife is like, yes, bring in the girlfriend. I am tired of funding this. Wow. Whole other levels of human. Like, these are the kind of things that they don't, people don't talk about. Like, the resentment of the ex wife having to pay for the kid to buy dad a gift for Christmas. Like, it's true, though, because I super like. And, 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 and just for just as disclaimer, I mean, it is like the healthiest thing I've ever seen as far as like family dynamics and getting along and, and he and his ex get along great and she and I get along great. And it's just, it is very, very healthy, which not everybody has. Um, and I just love it. Like I never imagined being in a relationship, you know, with a man, with a child. And I'm like, how do you deal with the ex-wife? But like this, like is a dream come true situation. But to your point, it's like, why? She's been stuck paying for these gifts. She's not married to him anymore. Mm. Yes. Bring on the girlfriend. Ah, oh, sweet summer child. <laughs> I just thought it would be fun today to talk about, to turn this into, you know, that how important it is to check yourself. Don't give up on, you know, the things that you want or that you thought was going to be your your life. Don't give up on the prospect you're going after, um, unless it's the wrong prospect. Sometimes we're chasing the wrong dreams. So you got to be clear on, are you chasing the right dream, but don't give up on it. Maybe you'll get that prospect in a different way. Maybe you'll sell them a different thing. You have to like see the way out of and out and around, right? Just like kids do. They don't give up. They just find another path or another decision maker. Uh, they keep the excitement and they're like, they're, they're like, they're rejection proof. Kids are rejection proof for the most part, for the most part. Yeah. Without getting too deep, we're talking about, we're talking like service level stuff, Yeah, yeah <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. but, um, it is true that, you know, again, going back to Gina's original story of her mom kind of downing her dream. And I mean, you, you, it doesn't really matter who tells you not to chase your dream because really you can have crazy ass dreams and like, a lot of times we easily, especially as adults, give up on those things because people are like, that's crazy. But what if, what if chasing it opens up a whole new world? Like, I mean, just because like my whole bodybuilding journey is a result of COVID and me just going, this will be, let's see what happens. And who knew? And all the things that I have learned and am still learning like boatloads of stuff. Like, of course, people tell me I'm crazy all the time, all the time. It's totally nuts. It's totally crazy. And what's the point? Um, the point is that 
you know, it's fulfilling something in me that, um, that I, I want, I, I don't even know what the result is and what the reason is, but it's kind of like when we want things or we want to achieve goals, we want to win something. It's all the same thing. Like kids want to have something and then you get some like, or are you out there listeners? You want this thing. You want this car. You want this purse. You want this house. You want this thing. Well, then when you finally get it, then what? Guess what? You want another fucking thing. Or like in terms of winning, you want to win. You want to you want to be number one. You want to be that number one. But when you and this is like straight out of Tim Grover stuff, Tim S. Grover's books are amazing. If you're mm-hmm. like into competing, you win and you get to help. You hold that trophy and you wear that tiara and you w- stand on the top level and get the Olympic gold medal and you get that win for a couple of minutes and then it's done. And then what? Then what? You're either chasing the next dream or you now if you're number one, you have to hold your title. We we, so, we we talked about this last week and and what you were coming off of and you were coming down from a high. And I told you that story again that I'd heard in a church sermon so many years ago about, about the summit, when you reach the summit of anything and you get there and you worked hard to get there and then you got it. And he talked about, you know, then all of a sudden, what do you do next? Like, well, if there's not another summit ahead of you to to climb to, you have no choice but to go down into the valley before you go up to the next summit. And instead of like letting that depression set in after you got to number one, take that moment to rest in the valley to then set the next set of goals, which is how I treated Thanksgiving week. I'm like, I put it on my calendar. I blocked it out. I was really good with the exception of one thing right? I didn't take a single meeting except for one. And it was a a client that had disappeared and came back. His wife had been very sick and he finally responded and had time to talk to me. And I'm like, let me talk to this guy for a few minutes. Other than that, I stuck to my boundaries to rest. Yes, I worked. I just... My idea of not working is not having meetings, but I rested to get my energy back to go to the next summit. So you have to, you have to have dreams and goals. This is the other thing I ask coaching clients when I first onboard them, what have you stopped dreaming about? What are the dreams that you had for yourself that you, and usually financial, like, oh, I, you know what? I'm never going to afford that. So I'm just not going to dream about it anymore. Well, why? Why not dream about it? Because when you have the dream then you have the goal and then that inspires you to go get it because I got to make money in order to get it. And that's going to drive you to keep going with getting the things that you want. You know, and there's, there's, that reminds me of my, my Honda fit. So I remember that long story short about dreaming about the thing that you think you cannot afford or have. So long story short, uh, when I was still married to Roxy's dad, we had two vehicles and one of them shit the bed and we got rid of it. And so we had one vehicle, which was hard in the way that it's hard to have one vehicle and two adults just is, well, we couldn't afford to buy a new vehicle 
And so, so ensued about six months of me like beg borrowing and just begging and borrowing rides everywhere. Like, because mm. at that time, Roxy's dad needed the car to drive to Myrtle Beach. So I was just like pulling favors all the time. Well, I had this, I had this car. I wanted a Honda Fit in the blue raspberry at the time. I was, I think I was coaching with you at that time, Gina. And yeah. I was like, I wanted to be known as the fit girl. And that's why I wanted the Honda Fit. And oh, I, I wanted remember. the blue. And I would go on the Honda website and I would look at this car. And I had no fucking idea how I was going to get this car. There was no way I had no means to buy it. Um, at the time, I was working in real estate and it was also kind of the tank of the market. It was 2009, maybe. It was kind of like the market wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there at, in the real estate office on floor duty one Saturday and these people call and they're like, hey, yeah, we want to come see this oceanfront condo. And I'm like, okay. So I took them to see it the following Saturday, showed them that they looked at that condo. And I think I showed them the one beneath, which wasn't as nice. And like, I was like, okay, yeah. And we're driving back from this condo to the office. And I'm like, so what do you think? Like, how did you feel about that? They're like, oh yeah, we're going to go make an offer. And so they go, we go to the office. We literally wrote this offer for this half million dollar condo. And closed it in a record-breaking 10 days because they bought it cash. And this was with litigation on this. It was like incredible that it closed in 10 days. I don't even... It just was. So 10 days later, I have this massive commission check. And I called up the Honda dealership. And I was like, who's this? Jacob. Okay, great, Jacob. Do you have a blue raspberry Honda Fit sitting on the lot? And he's like, Yeah. I'm like, I'll be there in a few minutes. I'm going to buy that car from you. And I went up there and bought the car. Like, and literally a couple of weeks before, for months, I had no idea. But I just had that little dream that I kept mm -hmm. hoping for because we needed a car. And I was like, if I'm going to need a car, I might as well get the one I want. And I did. Like, and you just never know what the opportunity is that's sitting out there waiting for you. If you don't keep that, keep that dream kind of in the forefront as at least a possibility, even if it's completely just crackerjack in the sky, like yeah. why not? Because what if, what if you get what it, if it's really, it's in your cards and it's just around the next corner and you have no idea. Like that's kind of the fun part of life that when I'm, you know, not in the, the valley of despair, <laughs> like, it life is full of these twists and turns and you just don't know if you're one of those people that's closed off to opportunity and closed off to the big dreams that you dreamed as a small child and the big hairy audacious dreams that you have as an adult the opportunity is not going to show up it's just it you won't see it kind of like this morning or last night or something i posted um you know you got to love yourself because if you don't love yourself like everybody around you can try to give you the love you need and you're begging for, but you're not going to be able to accept it because you're not allowing yeah. it. And like the same, if you want, if you want amazing, exciting things, you have to be open to the fact that it is available to you and not just the other guy. Or well, the other first girl. of all, you got to speak it, right? You got to speak it and say, I want this. And then you have to yes and yourself that it's possible and not say it's not possible. And then you put it out there and then 
it happens. So sometimes you have to put some actions in place for it to happen, but it first starts with stating it, that this is what I want. Just like you wanted to be a ballerina and I wanted to be on the dinosaur show. And we stated those things and we got them just in a different way because we put it out there. And I think this is a great story about you going back and buying the fit because think about how many times we've had customers who are like, yeah, I just can't do this right now. I can't afford it. I can't buy, I can't sign up for coaching. I can't sign up for training. We just like, I just can't, God, I really want it, but I can't. Like sometimes they're not emotionally ready. Sometimes they're not financially ready. Um, my buddy Skip today was talking about, well, sometimes they're not financially ready. And I'm like, well, I think people always find money for the things that they need and they want. They find, <laughs> But going back to when I coached with you. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, we've told that story, right? Um, sometimes they they will find they will find the money for the things that they need and they want, just not on our schedule all the time. Right. And um, one last story before we wrap this up, talking about the car. You know, when I went to buy my last car, again, I got really clear with what I wanted. I want it. And I'd done the research like buyers do, by the way, listeners, our buyers do research. I went, I researched, I read consumer reports, like best SUVs at in a certain price range, right? I went and researched that. And then I knew exactly to the detail, what color, how many miles, what year range, what price range, everything that I wanted in the car from butt warmer to sky roof thing to you know all the things everything that i wanted leather seats like everything like i was detailed and i showed up at that lot and i said this is exactly what i want i have a check i'm ready to buy and that salesperson he scurried the lot with me looking for it None of the things, none of the, he's like, well, this one, I'm like, nope, this one, nope, this one, nope. I knew exactly what I wanted. You have to be specific on what you want, whether it's a dream, a goal, or a client, and, and have that ideal avatar, ideal dream in mind. But I'll tell you, in 24 hours, that sales guy found me the car. He went hunting and convinced some senior couple on vacation in Myrtle Beach to turn in their car and sell it to me. I mean, literally down to the color, huh. everything. I got it. That is my, the end of that story. So Warners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I don't know what we're going to call it. Not sell like a child because that would be career limiting right now, but I <laughs> something find your fun child side to your passion um, in everything that you do. Um, remember to recapture that right now during the holiday season. It is really easy. Um, I hate to say easy, but this is a hard time of year for a lot of people. And if you have any kind of level of depression um, or anxiety, which a lot of us do, and you can be prone to that, you know, this could be a hard time of the year. So just Here's my final words, like just cap recapture that inner happy child, not the inner sad child. We all got that one. The inner happy child that is fun and joyous um, to push through to get what you want. Uh, Rachel, you got any final words? Um, I think you you can find a lot of that at this time of year because 
the holiday season, if you would, if you want to look for it, you can find that childlike wonder. Um, just, you know, go watch any holiday movie. You're going to find that. Do you believe in Santa? Do you believe in magic? Do you believe in magical things? And, and that's what I think Santa is all about. It's like creating these amazing, unexpected miracles for children on Christmas morning um, that are unexpected and just what you hoped for, but you just weren't really sure if it was going to happen. And then Santa delivers. You know, there's that magic and you can find it if you look for it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Warners, for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, sponsored by Sales Gravy. To learn more about Sales Gravy and all the amazing courses that we offer, go to salesgravy.university. This episode is coming out in December. I think it's coming out this week that we're recording it. Uh, We have a whole bunch of new boot camps coming up in January. We've got some courses still going on this month. I know I've got one. um, I think if this episode comes out this week, my next um, course, What to Say When You Don't Know What to Say, is December 2nd. And Selling with Stories, my newest workshop that I've created, comes out December 7th. Um, two great workshops to check out or anything else. We got a lot on our calendar in December. So check that out. And um, for more about Rachel and I, you can go to Women Your Mother Warns You About.com. Any, um, anything else to add, Rachel? If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share with somebody who could use a little childlike wonder this time of year and share any of our episodes so we can help spread the love. Bye, Warners. This really will get serious soon. Yeah, don't. It doesn't have to. I don't think anybody wants it to be serious.